My favorite Bruce Lee quote, I do not fear the man that's practiced 10,000 kicks. I fear the man that's practiced one kick 10,000 times. Get really good at the basics, because let's be real, if you're working in the high school sector, your entire job is to get them very good at the basics to build a foundation. So if they're privileged enough and they're gifted enough, and their career allows them to to go play at the next level, they can be prepared for that next level. And especially if you're working with lower end populations, if you're working with 13 to 14, 15 year olds, they don't need anything crazy. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjica Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning, whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is full of tools that coaches need like multiple max training methods, 16-plus reports, evaluation testing, goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please be sure to rate, like, subscribe, and even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow in iron. I am your host, John Mark Raspberry, current straight coach over at Bolivar Central High School. I'm here with today with Clay Bewley over in, what's your high school's name? Willow Canyon High School in Surprise, Arizona. That high school over there, I, I'm yeah. not going to pronounce, try to pronounce that. So I'm going to let him introduce himself, and um, then we'll get rolling here. All right, perfect. Well, uh, my name is Clay Bewley, the strength and conditioning coordinator at Willow Canyon High School. It's located in Surprise, Arizona. Surprise is a suburb city in the northwest, uh, the northwest uh, greater Phoenix metro area. Wonderful school, wonderful school. As uh, myself and Coach Raz has already talked about, my facility is absolutely amazing. Uh, fully rogue facility, and we service uh, about 350 student athletes a day between during school and a little bit after school. And we're actually currently working on uh, some camps for our feeder middle school. So by the time that rolls around, we could be servicing up to 500 uh, athletes on a daily basis through our program. And so my job as the strength conditioning coordinator is make sure everything runs as smooth as possible, keep everybody moving forward and keep everybody safe in the process. And so currently how we have it set up, the vast majority of our training is done during the day in what we call our sports academy classes. And with those sports academies, we have them set up throughout the entire day. We're a standard schedule school and not a block schedule. So we're able to get a lot of classes in. They're about 55, 60 minute classes. Uh, but we have about 35, 38 minutes of actual training that goes on during that time because it's very much get in, get started, get going, get cleaned up, get going so you're not late for your English class type of thing. So how our breakdown goes per day is our first hour is our football class. And then second hour, we have combined girls soccer, spirit line, and then also volleyball. And then our third hour is wrestling. And then our fourth hour is combined uh, sock, boys soccer and also Baseball fifth hour is what we call freshman development, where we have a large amount of freshmen from a variety of different sports who are in there. And we don't specialize in anything. It's just a year-long progression to give them the base so that way we can put them into whatever class they have. And then our sixth hour is our boys basketball, girls basketball, and softball classes. And so we're rocking and rolling athletes in here every single day, uh, you know, rolling through programs. So that's pretty much the thousand-foot view of our program here at Willow Canyon. Man, that's awesome, and it seems like you got a pretty good setup where you're at right now, so we have, that's awesome. We don't, we don't have a good setup. We have an amazing setup, so uh, I, I don't know if Phil listened to this, but uh, our principal, Dr. Adam Schwartz, and our athletic director, Tom Muderman, did a fantastic job designing this place, making sure we had a great facility before I was brought on, so that way uh, we could get the right person in the right spot, but they built the facility before they brought me in, and they did a fantastic job building this thing, and it is great. Uh, like I tell a lot of my athletes, and it always shocks my athletes because they're used to this is what they know. 
But I tell my athletes all the time that, hey, this is better than quite a few of the schools, Division One schools and Division Two schools that I've coached at uh, back in my prior life of a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. This this facility is amazing. So we take very good care of it. We do not disrespect it. We make sure everybody takes good care of it, cleans up after themselves, so that way it can stay good for another 10, 15, 20 years down the line. That's awesome, Clay. That's awesome. So let's get into the first segment here. So try basic tricks and tips. This is when you're giving us a tip or a trick that you have discovered in your own experience as a coach. So whether that's in the weight room and Google Sheets, on the field, court, just something to help other coaches. All right. So we're gonna do we're gonna do two. One not one, you know, exercise exercise science based tip and trick, and then one non-exercise science based. So which one do you want to hear first? The scientific or the practical tip? Either or go for it. Let's do let's do the practical. And this is especially for a male strength coach working with female athletes. Always have an abundance of hair ties ready to go and give out at a moment's notice. So what I do is every couple months, I buy 200 hair ties from Amazon. They're kept in this baggie, and they're ready to go so that the girls know if they ever need a hair tie, they can they can grab one whenever they need it. Because uh, because if you have something little like that to help build trust and help establish that I'm looking out for you, because trust me, there's always girls that need hair ties. And just having that small little act of service helps to open up a door and helps to build relationships. All my strong relationships that I have with my female athletes they started with giving out a hair tie when they needed it. So if you're a male strength coach working with female athletes, have extra hair ties. You can go on Amazon and find, I don't know what brand name it is. They're not very good. You can buy 200 of them for $9 off Amazon. Those are the ones I buy. I don't know what brand it is, but get those and hand them out to your athletes. They'll always be very appreciative. It's a great way to break the ice and a great way to help build trust. So buy hair ties. And then the scientific approach is don't get too crazy and keep things as simple as possible. The vast majority of the athletes are going to be doing the vast majority of the similar movements. If don't, don't get worried about, oh, is it, should it be this row or should it be that row? Do what everybody can do at a high level and then progress it from there. If you do that and coach it to the best of your ability, and you coach your face off, they'll get better and they'll show tons of improvements. I think that's something that strength coaches, we kind of get wrapped up in. You know, we want to progress. Well, uh, talking about like a squat, right? We're going from the goblet squat to uh, the front squat and then the zercher squat and then the back squat. I mean, sometimes it's kind of just good to stick to one thing and get really, really good at that one thing. So if you want front squat, stick to front squat. If you want goblet squat, you know, stick to goblet squat and just get really, really good at that one thing. My favorite Bruce Lee quote. I do not fear the man that's practiced 10,000 kicks. I fear the man that's practiced one kick 10,000 times. Get really good at the basics because let's be real. If you're working in the high school sector, your entire job is to get them very good at the basics to build a foundation. So if they're privileged enough and they're gifted enough and their career allows them to, to go play at the next level, they can be prepared for that next level. And especially if you're working with lower end populations, if you're working with 13 to 14, 15 year olds, they don't need anything crazy. They just need to learn how to move. They need to learn how to brace. And they need to learn how to strain safely and correctly. If you can get that, all the other nuances go out. Being And if you're able to if you're able to effectively program that just with simplistic exercises, then you're going to be okay. And that kind of leads into kind of our main topics, right? Our heavy training topics that we kind of discussed about. One of them is being managing multi-sports, right? So... You are managing football, baseball, softball, probably baseball, uh, all the other sports in your school. I mean, how do you manage all those sports all at once? How do you manage, like, well, the, the demands for, like, let's say a cross-country runner are a lot different than the demands of a football player. How do you manage all those sports? So then we start looking at the actual movements themselves. So, for example, a cross-country runner, a cross-country runner who performs a squat, biomechanically, not that different from a football player performing a squat, where the differences and nuances come from is the load, the intensity, the frequency, and the goal to outcome. Chances are that cross-country runner, if they just hit a simple three-by-five with a heavy goblet squat, that'll be able to keep their quad strong. They'll be able to you know, keep the glutes strong, activate some hamstrings, and get enough core development that they're going to be okay, that they can move through the program, and then they can go out and run their race. 
And that's going to be able to give them the strength they need. They don't have to push crazy weight, but they're still hitting that basic foundation movement. Then for the football player, yes, we might have to have some bigger weight. We might have to go to a greater depth. We might have to be able to have more time under tension to elicit growth and hypertrophy, depending on, you know, what position that player is, what grade they in, the demands of the season, stuff like that. And so we can take similar movements and then from there, we can prescribe which movement and which type of movement fits best. Like, for example, the goblet squat might be perfect for that cross-country runner, while the front squat might be better for that football player. And then we just progress them forward, and they'll be in that, and they'll be okay. Gotcha. I mean, like, that's just an example of, like, one example of yeah. dealing with all the sports that we're right. dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of transitioning into, you know, training with tennis and then training with softball and training with track. And I mean, there's still a little components of different sports have different demands, right? So when we talk about softball, baseball, um, you can even put golf and tennis in there. There's a lot of rotation in there compared to something like track where our 100 and 200, uh, you know, 400, 1600 meter runners don't really do a whole lot of rotation work or in the least in their sport they don't do a lot of rotation work. So how do you program like the differences between those kind of sports? So I got to go, I got to go back a little ways and uh, I got to look at the type of programs I'm actually running. Cause here in our sports Academy classes, they're not just lifting with me every day. They're also able to practice during that time. So for example, we have a revolving schedule. So like second hour, for example, that's our spirit line. That's our, girl soccer and then that's also our volleyball classes because of space like for example volleyball might right now volley is more is more of an off-season phase and so they're with me three times a week where they have one practice during where they have one practice during the week and then they have a speed train at the end of the week and so for example they're on a three-day tier program and spirit line a little bit different they're at the end season phase they won't you know big shout out to our spirit line they uh they're coming off two state cha- state title wins this year, so big big props to them on overall team and then stunt. So taking home a little hardware that we get to hang in our gym. They're on a two-day split, and so they're practicing three days a week with their coach during that during that class time. So our way so the kids can practice and they don't have to stay here quite as late. And so, for example, I have my two-day tier, my three-day tier, and my four-day tier, depending on how many teams are lifting. And so. When they're in that two-day tier, I'll adjust that two-day tier to meet the demands. So on our tiers, it's usually always a foundational exercise, a secondary, and then a tertiary foundation. Those primary, secondary, tertiary lifts, total lower, upper, those stay pretty standard across all of our main, across the vast and teams. That's the stuff where you see your squat, you see your trap bar deadlift, you see your triple extension, whether that might be a clean or a trap bar jump, vertical pulls like chin-ups, horizontal pulls like rows, presses, stuff like that. So those will stay pretty standard as in our auxiliaries is where things kind of change up. For So for example, if I have it's like so for example rotational athletes versus non-rotational athletes let's just say for example i had some heavy rotational athletes working with some non-rotational athletes that triple extension that that primary emphasis on the top of the tier let's just call it a trap bar jump for the rotational athletes i'll have the exercise and then up on the board it'll say slash slash and then a different exercise so everybody's doing the primary foundational but on the auxiliary i'll change that up for more sports sports specific demands so like for example during the off season that's when we'll do some more rotational stuff with baseball with softball when it's in season they're already getting a ton of that anyways so then we switch to more anti-rotational and then from there that's the rotation of the non-rotational athlete might just have more of a stand might just have more of a standard core exercise like a pale off press or a dumbbell hollow body press or a landmine rotation something along theirs so as we differentiate in our auxiliaries our primaries they just keep the foundation for all the teams but then we'll differentiate on the secondary and then on the tertiary emphasis and on our auxiliaries on where they can best fit so that way they have their primary foundation and more of their sport specific training that merge and still that allows our class to be productive because I can't have 
four different programs running at four different times in one space, that's going to be pretty control chaos pretty quick. And so everybody's sticking to their primary, secondary, tertiary foundationals. And then we differentiate with the auxiliaries, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes 100% sense. I mean, that's pretty cool that you're running that kind of program to where you're like, okay, we're almost essentially having the same foundational lifts, core movements. We're just switching up here and there, your auxiliary lifts. So that's pretty cool that you're doing that there. Yeah, and that's where I I require a lot out of my athletes because my biggest pet peeve, and you can ask them, what's my biggest pet peeve? Talking while I'm talking, while I'm trying to explain things. Because if I'm trying to get everything out of explaining, you're talking, I will lose my crap very, very quickly. I'm a very, very patient person, but I am not patient when it comes to that. That's my number one. That's why I warn them, like when I first get them, like, hey, guys, I have zero patience for this. So do yourself a favor and don't do it. All it takes is that first time. And then I blow up and they're like, whoa, he was right. You didn't like that at all. And so that's where the focus to know what to do is huge. And all my programs at this school and my previous school and other schools are one of our mottos is what happens when you guess, you guess wrong. Know your assignments. Don't guess on what your assignments are. Know what you're supposed to do so you can perform it the way it's supposed to be performed. Don't guess and maybe you'll get there know what to do so you can execute it the way it's supposed to be done. Exactly. And I think that kind of goes into several aspects in athletic development. One that being seasonal loads, right? We're not going to load an athlete in season the same as we do in off season. Um, we're not going to load, you know, we're not going to load someone in season, the same as preseason. It, it all kind of, it's like a well-oiled machine, right? It, I mean, it's got to go, it's got to coincide with one another. So how do you manage seasonal loads from the off season, the preseason, even in season, even after that, maybe even the postseason, you know, you go to the playoffs, um, make it all the way, you know, to the state tournaments. I mean, how do you manage all those seasonal loads for all those athletes? So basically what I do and, and just heads up, like a lot of my really good ideas, got it from other people. And so I completely took Cody Hughes's uh, in-seasonal load techniques of cutting the reps in half, cutting the set off, and basically keeping all, keeping the foundational reps the same, but then adjusting loads. Took that from him. It was fantastic. So I took it and ran with it. We've had a ton of success for it. So for example, I hang sheets up that basically says that if you're in, that if you're two seasons away, that if you're multiple days away from a game, you keep the loads, you can keep the sets, and you're all good. If your game day is tomorrow, cut all the reps in half, keep the sets the same, keep the load the same. But if you have game day, cut the reps in half, take one set off everything, and then keep the load the same. I program a lot off 5-3-1. Those are, those are my main ones. And so it gets very easy to be able to cut those in half. Like, let's say, for example, uh, like let's say we, we got – Let's say we got six. Let's say we got six sets, and let's just call it a trap bar deadlift. Six sets of a trap bar deadlift. Six, three sets of five. Three sets of three. The fives are at seventy percent. The threes are at eighty. Hey, I want you to cut those in half. So off season, you have your six rounds. You're gonna go five, 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 three, three, three. In season, kids, you're gonna go three, 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 one, one, one. And so right there, we've already reduced the load by. Um, going to do the math all the way off the top of my head, a little, probably about 60%. We already reduced that load off of versus off season. You're still able to brace, you're still able to pull, you're still able to keep that strength up. And uh, that pays a lot. We also use different seasonal techniques and we use different seasonal variations. And so during our off season, that's when we're free squatting more. In season is when we're box squatting more. And what we'll do is like, for example, if we have an in season and an off season that are both on a Tuesday, which is primarily a squat day, in season, throw it on a box. Off season, keep it free, keep the loads the same. So that way we can stress management that load. And as they get used to just those different variations, we'll be all good. Another great variation that we use in season versus an off season, trap bar deadlift versus block trap bar deadlift. To put two plates under the bar, put it on top of the block, keep your load the same. So we're reducing that range of motion. They can still brace, they can still pull, and they can still go from there. And that's why the vast majority of our teams are hitting good weight and hitting good numbers and having 
higher, not just weight PRs, but also jump PRs. Uh, that's why we're, that's why we're able to set new records all the way throughout our seasons. And what I tell the kids all the time is I don't want you to be your strongest at the start of the season. I want you to be at the strongest at the end of the season. And then really emphasizing when we're done here, when you're done with practice, go home, you know, don't, if you're going to go to the gym, this is something I think a lot of strength coaches fight with, and it's always a topic. They want to go to the gym. You know, I I was a public I was a public health major for a little bit in college, and one of the things I remembered in public health was harm reduction training. You know, you're not going to eliminate the behavior outright, so just try to eliminate the harm. And so, and so, what I tell the kids is, don't fill the bucket that's already full. If you want to go there and you want to work, because let's be real. And some coaches may not 100% agree with me. There's a lot worse places a high school kid could go to than the gym on a Friday night or a Saturday night. There's a lot worse places. There's a lot worse places. And, you know, there's, you know, the trouble you can get into there is a lot less than the trouble you can get into as a gym. So if a kid is a gym rat and really wants to train on a Saturday instead of going and getting freaking slobbered at a party they shouldn't go to or, maybe dabble in some things they shouldn't dabble with. I'm not going to hate on that. I'm just going to adjust it to, hey, do these things. Stay away from our primary lifts. Stay to the machines. Get a little pump in. Hop on the treadmill a little bit and enjoy yourself. And don't go crazy on the loads to negate what we're doing. Don't do what we do. Do what we don't do. And you can do that. And I'm okay if the kid wants to get a little extra work. And so managing that because i can't i'm sure you probably had this as well we work so hard to get these sets and reps and then a kid goes and maxes out on a random tuesday and then they're shot on a wednesday i'm sure that's never happened to you right happens never and it never 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 ever ever never ever happens to any high school strength coach ever or any college strength coach so it's no understanding that that behavior probably won't change but how can we work with that behavior and some people might say, oh, that's a cop-out play. Well, I just understand that that behavior is not going to change. So let's at least work with it instead of work against it, fight a little fire with water versus fire. That's just me. So kind of going back to our, you know, how do we how do we manage in-season first option? We change the variations. We manage the volume. The intensity always stays up because the intensity has to be there. In order to elicit change in the homeostatic response, there has to be a higher intensity. But we change the volume. We change the load. We keep the intensity high. We change the variation. And then we emphasize recovery with us and without us. And with that, we're able to do a pretty decent job. And along those lines, working with it, you know, I work very close with our uh, athletic trainer here on campus who does a wonderful job keeping our athletes healthy on her side of things. And so working with her and helping and, you know, staying in close contact with like, Hey, this kid's feeling a little banged up. Don't do this. Don't do that. Fantastic. We, we communicate on a daily basis on what we're doing for the athletes here and there. So that's, so that's also part of it. Those are the main things we do for our in-season off-season kids. Yeah. And when I talked to Dan Mullins, he talked about, um, leave the big rocks to me, right? Your big compound movements, your speed Love development, it. your, um, you know, change, you know, leave the bit of rocks to me. You can go and change, you know, train chest and arms and, you know, I guess be a meathead in the gym all you want to be. You know, that that's great. Now, that's, I completely agree with your point about, like, there's worse places. Kids could be on a Friday night rather than being at the gym trying, one, to better themselves. And two, I mean, this could lead into fun. a passion. It's fun. fun. You know, for, for fun. most of us, it's fun. I enjoy it. It's fun. I mean, if the kids out there get a little extra work in, I mean, we're always harping about we need to work harder and things of that nature. Is it a little irritating at times? Yeah. I mean, I, I ain't going to lie. It is a little irritating to hear that, you know, a kid trained legs, he maxed out on squats, and then next day we're trained, you know, lowers and, He's like, oh, I'm shot, man. I can't do it. It's like, well, you... yeah. And then we use those as a teaching opportunity. And I've made this mistake plenty of times where I just want to get mad at the kid because, of course, it's frustrating. You put in all this work and he shoots it in the foot because, you know, he really wanted to go with his buddies. But then you use that as a teaching opportunity. It's like, well, this is why if this was a game today, you'd be absolutely shot. This is why we have to take care of ourselves. 
you know, take care of your little rocks, leave me to the big rocks. And so going along those lines. I also think a schedule of consistency in your weight room also would help prevent some of that stuff. It really Because, would. I mean, like, if you train lowers on Monday, uppers on Tuesday, total body Thursday, and keep that same schedule over and over and over. I mean, if a kid comes in, let's say he trained lowers on Sunday, right? Max on um, back squats. Comes in on Monday, says, Coach, I, I can't go. Right, I can't go. I, I I just did leg Sunday with my dad, and it's like, well, you know that on Mondays we train lowers, and we've been doing this for the last twelve weeks, and you yeah. know this. So I think a schedule of consistency in the weight room would huge. prevent some of that. It's it's absolutely huge, and sometimes, especially if somebody's in my situation where it's a revolving schedule, sometimes it gets a little bit tough, and that's where putting forth an understanding of, hey, this is typically what we do on tip. This is typically what we do on day one. This is typically what we do on day two. This is typically what we do on day three. And one thing I've started going away from uh, just with, with my own programs, I used to do lifts four times, four times a week, but I've gone more into a two and a three day model uh, just to make sure that we have one designated speed and change development day. And that's become our fast Fridays here at Willow Cane. Every Friday is fast Friday. One, I really, really like it because I don't know about you. I have a ton, ton of year-round either club sport athletes or multi-sport athletes. I have a ton of them, especially volleyball, soccer, baseball, my softball girls. I have an I have a embarrassment of riches when it comes to softball talent. So uh I'm gonna I'm gonna brag a little bit on them. They probably won't listen, but I'm gonna brag a little bit on softball. Uh, my current softball, and this is a public school in Arizona. Uh, we have in our senior signing class, we have one girl who signed to go play at the University of Missouri, SEC. We have another girl who's signed to go play at South Dakota State. We have another girl who just signed at Carson Newman. At Carson Newman, and then we had another. Uh, let's see, and then we had another girl sign NAI, and I believe we had three other girls who have signed to play uh, junior college. We have a junior who just signed and just verbally committed to Oregon State. We have another junior who's deciding between Weber State and Boise State. And then we have uh, a couple others who are getting some lower-level offers uh, as sophomores and juniors. Pretty stinking nice to have that much talent. And so they play constantly because they're good enough to. And because they play for some really high-level clubs, and I have to take into account what they're doing on the weekends and the tournaments they're playing. There was uh, one of our girls who played every weekend for, I think, two and a half months straight every single weekend she was in a tournament, which is crazy. But that's where I made sure that, hey, you got to come talk to me on Monday. you got to come talk to me on Tuesday. you got to let me know how you're feeling. And it's it's not a big deal. You're playing at a very high level. You're going to go do some amazing things at the next part of your life, uh, the next stage of your career. And all those girls are going to be big-time players at where they signed. I'm so excited to see their success in a couple of years. But you have to just come and let me know. If you're feeling a little bit, I'll change it in a heartbeat. It ain't a big deal. you got to let me know. And they're, And the vast majority of my athletes are very good about that. Hey, coach, you know, I played over the weekend. This happened, kind of feeling a little bit in my quad, and, and I'm feeling a little bit warm. So what do I do? Okay, well, let's switch up this variation. Let's give this a try. And my rule of thumb is two, two changes. Change it once. Change it twice. If it's still bothering you, yo, just cut it. Move on to the next day. Just go, like, put in a, put in, put in a recovery circuit for that time and, and, just, and just avoid that movement. And let's get you feeling better on another day. And so with those athletes who are playing year round and with those athletes who are multi-sport, and we really encourage a lot of it, like every football player we have is required to be a multi-sport athlete. You know, our basketball guys are a lot of them are year round. Our baseball guys are year round. Our volleyball girls are year round. So many of them are year round, which is why I love fast Fridays because we're getting out there, we're doing some speed and we're getting a lot of active recovery to be able to get them fresher for their weekend play. And then we get them back in, get them trained during the week, get them refreshed so they can go into weekend play. And it's just this revolving cycle of get them feeling better 
get them trained, get them feeling better to play good, and just rinse, cycle, repeat, rinse, recycle, repeat. And we're not looking for massive jumps and massive gains. What we're looking for is just get a little bit better, 1% to 5% better a day, just a little bit, little bit, little bit. If we can stack day on day, week on week, month on month, semester on semester, we could take you a long ways from when you first step in as a freshman to when you leave as a graduating senior. We can cover a lot of ground. We we really focus on that long-term approach because when we long-term approach these kids, usually good things happen. Absolutely. And that uh, question popped in my head when yeah, you were talking ahead. about it then. Yeah, go ahead. Um, are y'all on RPE scale or do you do percentage-wise? So both. Both. Percentages, but also RPEs. And so, like, for example, if it's an exercise that I have a number for, so, if, like, for example, if it, our, our, main, uh, our main weighted KPIs, because uh, we, of course, track bench, we, of course, track squat, we, of course, track clean, we track dumbbell, we track uh, deadlift, we track, uh, I don't, and I don't prescribe weights for this, but I also track their uh, one rep max chin up to see what they're able to do. Those are our main weighted ones. And then we have vert jump, approach jump, flying tent. And once I get some new lasers in, so that way we can get that standing long jump. And so those are our main KPIs, our nine main KPIs. If it's a KPI-based lift, then once we're off-season and once we're more at the preseason, middle season, we'll be more percentages. But once we start getting to the second half of the season, that's when the season kind of comes in. That's where I'll get away from the percentages. And I'll go more RP or just recommended weights of, hey, just keep it between this. If you need to keep it a little on the lighter side, if you're not feeling super good, that's okay. Just keep it on the lighter side. And so we use both depending on what the situation is. So I heard from both you know sides of the ball, right? I've heard coaches use RPE. I've heard coaches use percentages. I've never heard someone use both. And especially with high school kids, you know, we both work with high school kids. I mean, they will they will lie through their teeth, just a lie. And I don't know if you experienced that or not. They will. Uh, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll lie just a lie. Like, it doesn't have to be anything, like, important. I mean, they'll lie just, just, uh, just a lie, just because they can. And, I mean, like, it's hard to get a read sometimes with RPE skill because you're sitting there thinking, it's like, okay, well, they should be between this weight and this weight right here, like you're kind of talking about. Uh, I mean, I've seen athletes that were like, okay, well, I know it says on the sheet 135 for bench. I'm going to do 115 because that's what I'm comfortable with. And, you know, when you start talking about RPE skills, I mean, most high school kids don't really realize what a 10 or what the excruciating end of RPE really feels like. So how do you kind of, manage that portion of so, RPE skill. So with that, what I'll do is one, I'll watch it because like, let's say, for example, they have that weight on and like, like for example, today uh, for, for women's basketball, we had five sets of trap bar deadlift, set of four, set of two, three singles. Easy enough. And the scale was on, on that four, keep it light, move pretty well. That's your form technique, really lock in. Keep it like a five out of 10. Really easy, get it. I want you to bump up for the two and then bump up on the ones. And I want it to feel about a seven to eight out of 10 where it feels okay, but you definitely got more in you. But don't leave that in the tank. You feel it and it's okay. Like let's say, for example, with that, if a girl pull, pulls that trap bar and it flies and I was like, how how'd that feel? Oh, coach, scale of one to 10, probably like a nine. Like that was the easiest nine I've ever seen. You can go up a little bit. You're okay. Go up to this and I'll give them a weight. Like, for example, pull 185. Shoot, that looks super. That was a nine. Well, I can't wait to see what your nine at 205 is going to look like. You'll be okay. Throw that extra 10 up, put a little chalk in your hands, take a little extra time, really brace, make sure it looks good. Perfect. Good. And then, or the, or the, or the flip side where it's like, you know, they go on and, you know, that took every, that took everything that they had where they pulled, they pulled that 205 and, you know, oh man, you could just tell that was a tough one. Like, how was that? Eh, six, like, 
that was a tough looking six. Let's back that down a little bit. Go down to this way. And so that's where you as a coach have to step in. You have to be observing. You have to watch and you have to go from there. Fortunately, you, when you get to know your athletes pretty well and you see them a lot, you can see what they're capable of. And then from there, you give them the recommendations. And then you watch them as you go. And then you use your coach and I use your experience to be able to regulate them. Cause like, for example, I have, I have, uh, one of, one of my starting, uh, one of my starting girls basketball players, absolute freaking stud. She's got quite a few junior callers looking at her kind of a combo wing can handle the ball, can drop in the post, you know, prototypical great player, never slacks in the, never slacks in the weight room, never slacks in the court, just, Type of type of athlete you love to train. The other day she came in and she's like, Coach, I just really don't know if I can go. That game was really hard. And so I'm feeling it. She's given me no reason to ever not ever not trust her. Yeah. Keep it a little lighter. It's all good. I and I believe in you. Okay, thanks. Fist bump. She did it. Feel better. Like, yeah, I feel better after that. Cool. That's where that trust relationship comes in. And one thing I have found is that the boys are the ones who are more than likely going to fly off the script. Girls usually pretty good about following your script, but then making sure when they do go off the script, that's a teaching moment. In our football class, uh, we have our big we have our big competition. Uh, we divide them up into teams to try to make the offseason a little bit more fun. And if they have, you know, their performance has points. So like let's say, for example, if they beat a PR or if they hit a weight for a certain range, or they have a new jump or a new flying 10, or just they show any sort of improvement, they get points for their team. And they have to follow their sheets in order to be able to set themselves up. If they want to try for that PR break, if they're feeling really good, they have to follow that sheet exactly. Because if they don't follow the sheet, then they didn't earn the opportunity to go and try for that PR break, or they in turn try for that. Because I want them trying to push themselves. I want them to improve. I want them to get better. And perfect example, on our cleans, we had uh, the day before our cleans, it was squat and it was a kind of an adjusted APRE where on the last set was a failure set. We called our money sets. So if you want to go make some money, go take this to failure money set. And if they, you know, 75%, if they got it for eight, reps they got two they got a point for the team if they got 10 or more they got two points and so a lot of guys took that 75 percent for 10 some took it for 14 i had a couple guys take their 75 percent squat they actually took it for 20 reps and i cut us like yo guys that's really freaking good cut it and because they did so much better than i thought they were going to i had to adjust the next day I was like yo these boys are going to be shot the next day so we kept a little on the lighter side we kept it between 65 and 80 we kept it between 65 and 75 percent on power clean triples got to stay within your weight ranges can't go over that and the ones who stay in their weight ranges were moving really good the next day because they kept a little lighter they focused on their form they focused on their speed the guys who didn't because they have to verify what they did and i have a sheet with me to be like hey so and so you in your you're in you in your range? Yeah, I am, coach. Wrong. Your range is right here, and that's what you have on the bar. And eh, wrong. You're out of your range. And then just going like, hey, you notice how all these guys are doing really, really, really well, and they're moving it really clean. They're getting all their reps, and yours look like dog do. Why do you think that is? Well, because I didn't go in my range, and I always have a sport coach in with me, which is a huge advantage. And so then I'll pull the coach aside, like, hey, coach, what happens? on this formation if we do what we want to do and typically the coach is like we we're not going to be very successful it's like then i look at the kid why do you think that is well we have to do our job do your job so connecting it from the weight room connecting it to the sport application so they could see why it's important and on also having the autonomy from the coach and we have tremendous support in here with our sport coaches who are in the weight room with me to help that accountability happen. And honestly, with that, we're getting better and better every single week at having better accountability amongst our players. And then they start to see, wow, I did things my way and I stayed the same for months and months and months. I listened to Coach Clay for the past two months and I'm hitting the best numbers I've ever hit and I'm jumping, I'm running fast, everything else. 
maybe I should just listen to him. Maybe and, I should just listen to my strength coach. And something that you said really stuck with me, and I saw a tweet about it about, uh, about I think a couple months ago, and it said that sport or not sport coaches, strength coaches need to know ball. They need to know the yeah. sport that they're playing. Because, like, you're saying, like, you can bring a coach in. It's like, what formation, you know, in this play, in this formation, what is the, you know, what is the expected outcome, whatever. And I think that's something that applies to their sport, right? If we're going to make strength and conditioning apply to their sport, we got to know at strength coaches their sport. We got to know what a power forward is in basketball, what a pitcher does. I mean, specifically, you know, what happens in their sport. And so you can make those connections with those athletes as well. Yeah. And you don't gotta you don't gotta know it as good as a player and you don't gotta know it as good as a coach. Because let's be real, we work with a lot of different athletes. I know a decent amount about volleyball. If they get me, you know, on the floor coaching volleyball, we're in trouble. It's not gonna be very good. Uh get get the ball on the other side of the net and make sure it hits the ground. Yeah. Good good X's and O's right there, Coach Clay. And so you don't need to know, you know, all the formations, but just have a baseline knowledge. And the beautiful thing about sport, especially team sports, everybody has a job. Everybody has a responsibility. You do your job and good things tend to happen in association with everybody else. That's pretty much universal amongst every single team sport. Do your job, do your assignment. And then in here, do your job, do your assignment, know what you're supposed to do so you can perform to the high level. Just like in whatever sport you're doing, Know what you're supposed to do so you can perform it to a high level. Exactly. And, I mean, I think that's just a just a basic thing that we can do as strength coaches. And I think most of strength coaches really do have a baseline of sports, maybe not to the extent of these other sports like maybe um, ice hockey or you know, wrestling, stuff that you know people don't – I'm not going to say traditionally play – but it's not as publicized as, you know, football, basketball, baseball, um, yeah. those sort of sports. That's the stuff that we played growing up in uh, Prescott, Arizona. So shout out to anybody who knows where that is. That's my hometown, little little small town in northern Arizona. We had a minor league hockey team in the next town over, the Arizona Sundogs back in the day. And speaking of hockey, uh, it was one of those things where you could go see a minor league hockey game, get a hot dog and a – medium drink for nine bucks back in the day so that's what me and my friends would always do and we would just wait for the crowd to react to whatever happened so like a, a call was made and we just wait and they boo like yeah boo or like a call was made or and people would cheer like yeah cheer you don't need to know exactly what's going on but just have a fundamental dummies guide version to what they're doing exactly uh, talking about this last thing here, long-term athletic development. I mean, that's something that is not seen commonly across high schools. I mean, it's starting to become a little bit more, um, I'm not going to say normalized, but it's getting more. You're starting to hear that phrase a little bit more. Yeah, you're starting to hear, it's starting to become familiarized, I guess, is the best, or become more public. So, what do you do for long-term de- uh, long-term athletic development? I mean, do you start in the middle school? Do you work with the middle school athletes and work their way up to high school? I mean, what do you do? So typically, as of right now, at this moment, they start in ninth grade with their freshman development class. And then we progress from there. But we're looking at getting started hopefully this month in February is some middle school camps to come twice a week where we can really just hound the basics. And with that, uh, we can offer it at a very, very, very uh, affordable rate because we're not because we have to take care of ourselves. Of course, it's my time, you know, and I have to be compensated for that outside, put in extra hours. But through the schools, we're able to offer it at a very, very, very nice rate. So that way we're not harming our families. We're helping them because, you know, even though we're in a, a, a nicer area, Times are still tough for a lot of people, and we and we can't we can't put our families in bad situations of our athletes. And so, as we get those camps started twice a week, just focusing on the foundationals, learning how to hinge, learning how to squat, 
learning how to be stable on one leg and just having some baseline agility and some baseline running mechanics and just being able to move like an athlete, being able to move fluidly. That's all we're worried about, just being able to move fluidly at that lower levels. So that once we establish that, and if we can establish that sixth, seventh, eighth grade, whenever they come in, even better because by the time they get to a high school athlete, I want them just to be able to have a somewhat decent stride gate. I want them to be able to decelerate and re-accelerate on a change of direction without falling over and be able to go through very basic, you know, foundational movement pattern, squat, hinge, press, pull, single leg. If they can do that, that's fantastic. And then from there, we just slow cook. We just add reps, we add sets, and we slowly build across those different ways and so you know getting stronger on our main lifts getting faster jumping higher i want those numbers to continually go up both quantitatively so that way we could see like okay you know perfect perfect example i had a young man uh who moved out of state never trained before started off on a goblet squat progressed him throughout the whole season we did our end season not a true not a true test set but just we did just did eight singles to see what you can go to start real light see what you can control once you start losing control we'll cut you just kind of a little baseline see where you're at and so ended at two ended at uh 245 we did a some we did a similar thing a couple weeks ago just to get some baseline numbers three months later 245 he hit 315 fantastic and so as those qualitative at those quantitative numbers go up because i want to see them be able to handle more weights on their lifts. I want to be able to see them jumping higher, jumping farther, running faster. And then from there, also the qualitative. And those are a little bit harder to measure because a qualitative goal in and of itself, you can't measure it. It's just the quality of it, being able to be more fluid in our running, being able to redirect better, being able to quicker load and then jump, land softer. These basic, these pretty much just basic things as an athlete being able to do as they get more athletic in their movements and they get stronger in the weight room. And most importantly, and here's the most important aspect of long-term athletic development, are they getting better at their sport? Because until we put a bar on the court or on the pitch or on the field or on the mat and lift it for points, this don't mean anything if they're not getting better at their sport. And so that's where I check in a lot with our sport coaches who are with me is how are they playing? How are they going? And if a coach tells me, hey, you know, their movements are looking great or they're doing this or they're doing that, but they just make these mental mistakes. Okay, we're at least taking my parts. Now we can know that, hey, maybe we need to focus a little more on this kid on the mental side of his game versus the physical side of this game. And that's where me and myself can me and myself and the coach can talk about how we gonna how we're gonna be able to address these mental mistakes. Or if they're like, coach, you looked really stiff out there. He's not playing as well. He's very sore. His knees are hurting, whatever. Maybe it's time to readdress what I'm doing. Okay, let's scale this back a little bit. Maybe we're pushing him a little bit too hard. Let's readdress the movement qualities. Let's maybe take away from a concentric bit of more, more of an isometric phase. So that way we can just get his body feeling better. And so constantly checking in with the coaches to make sure that my goals are set, that they're moving better, being more athletic, that they're getting stronger. Fantastic. If we're checking those and they're becoming better players, we're doing our job. Yeah, and that's something that's been brought up in kind of the strength and conditioning Twitterverse uh, tweets. Uh, does the strength and conditioning actually help a program become more successful? In my opinion, yes, because we're developing those muscles. We're developing those movement patterns that they're going to use on the field, court, mound, whatever. Um, but there's some people that's kind of – Say no that we're we don't affect the win loss rate of you know a team, which I can see that side of it because you know we're not coaching support, we're not uh, you know we don't know well some of us might know the X's and those behind sport right you know we can have the best training conditioning plan possible for our football team, but what if they go zero and ten or two and eight whatever I mean does that is that part of our like 
job is to help them win. It should be because you have to, if you're not playing to win, then why are you playing? But you have to set realistic expectations for your teams. For example, we had a soccer, our, our boys soccer team did not have a very good record. This is a long-term turnaround that they're happening right now. And so, you know, it's going to take a little while before things are kind of righted here. They had more wins than they had last year. In my mind, that's a successful season. Some people are like, but they, they had a losing record. Yes, but it wasn't as much. Knowing where they're at and what they can come. Not every team's going to go from worst to first. If you're able to do that, then yo, congratulations, coach. That's fantastic. Good job. But it's realistic expectations for that. You know, another realistic expectation, our girls basketball team, very, very, very good girls basketball team. And we've had a lot of wins and we're in an extremely competitive region. Uh, we just got our 13th FC. We were 13, we were either 13 and five or 14 and four this year. And that was good enough for fourth in our region. Pretty stacked region. And so a lot of people might say, oh, you finished fourth in your region, not a successful season. Well, not necessarily. In Arizona, we're, we're adopting more of an open uh, system where the top teams go. So, like, for example, the top 36 teams, uh, the top 36 teams in the state are taken and they do their own playoff, kind of like, you know, the March Madness tournament. And if you're not in those, then it's basically kind of like the NIT where, you know, I think we played, I think, six or seven or maybe even possibly eight. We played a lot of teams that are going into the open. Very good teams, very good programs. And so some people might go, well, you lost them. Like, yes, but they're also very good. We also beat some teams that have very good records. So it's just understanding what is your definition of success. Because sometimes a successful season can be you kept everybody eligible you kept everybody healthy and you competed because maybe things were just that rough the year before going 500 could be a successful season. Going 500 could be an unsuccessful season. Making playoffs could be successful. Making playoffs and exiting early could be unsuccessful. It's understanding your roster, their capabilities and having realistic expectations. Like for our example, I'll bring up our cheer squad again. They've had a long history of success. And so, a successful season for them was taking home some more state titles. They did that successful season. If they would have qualified for state and then came down very low, that would have been an unsuccessful season for them. Well, there's some other spirit lines probably around our state that they made state. And that's the, that's a massive accomplishment. And so it's just understanding the situation of the team and what success means to you and your program. And that's where, we as strength and these professionals can absolutely have an impact on their success. You just have to understand what is success for that team. Yeah, that makes sense because like if we have, let's just say a 10, uh, a football team goes 0 and 10, right? They, they go, they go defeated. And then uh, next season, I mean, they go two and eight and then next season they go five and five and then they're seventh. That's, that's progressively that's, yeah, that's progressively getting better. I mean, you're progressively getting better. So, is that success? I mean, in our I eyes, think, I would think so. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you on that on that aspect of it. Yeah, that is that is success. Now, let's say a situation of well, we go five and five, and then we go four and six. Now back to five and five. I mean, is that success? Because you're either staying 500, you're you're st- you're kind of you're winning some games, you're losing some games. I mean, and I I mean that just totally depends on the coach too. I mean, it does in the culture of your school and you know what the expectations are for that season. But yeah, you know, I think you brought up a great point of what is your definition of success? Is it going two and eight next season, even though you were defeated this past season? Is it going you know, to the playoffs when you just missed it last year. You know, that, that's I think that's a great point. If you won zero games and you won two games, got better. You're getting better. And so, because yeah, sometimes we get, sometimes we get too, too caught up on, on, on wins and losses being the only thing. 
when you look at what the nature of the team is and hey like for example like if you're in a, a suit if you're in super competitive regions like us if you're competing you're winning games and you're getting playoffs i'll take that our girls soccer team had had a, a string we had we had some unfortunate injuries uh we also you know had a little had a little bit of adversity they got through they fought through it and even though they were region champs in a weaker division last year. They they were region champs last year, and and they're in a much weaker division this year. They got moved into arguably the toughest division in five A Arizona girls soccer, and you know they competed. They didn't win as much, but they competed and they still made state playoffs in a much 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 better field. I don't know. There might be some success in there. Because would la- because how would last year's squad have fared against this higher competition? I don't know. I wasn't here. But this year's squad was able to be competitive with some of those really, really good teams. I don't know. I'll take that. Some people Absolutely. might call it a moral victory. You got to take it for what it's worth. A victory is a victory. However you want to look at it. A victory yeah. is a victory. Um, kind of wrapping up things here. So... How did you get into your role as a strength and conditioning coach? Like, how did you know that this is what you want to do? So I was originally public health major. Then I realized what I'd have to do for public health. And I was like, yo, peace out. Uh, not doing not doing that for the rest of my life. And then I was going down the more corporate fitness uh, side of things. And I was personal training. I was managing a fitness center during college. And that paid the bills. It was fun. I enjoyed it, but it definitely didn't bring out the passion. It wasn't until my roommate at the time came home and he was volunteering coaching for a local high school. that he's like, Clay, these kids are weak as hell and they suck and they don't win. Can you help us out? And I was like, I got a little bit of free time. I will. And then I fell in love with it and realized, Hey, I need to make a career change uh, while I'm still in my undergrad. So I went for more of the strength and conditioning side of things, uh, started interning with uh, the university I was going to, Northern Arizona University, NAU. That's where I was uh, attending at the time. So I started working with their strength and conditioning and interned there for several years. And that set me down the path. And it, it was the fulfillment of working with those initial athletes. And it's funny because once I got into collegiate setting, I thought I was going to be collegiate strength and conditioning for forever so it's funny that high school athletes got me into it and now i'm back in high school and i don't know if i'm ever going to leave i love the I, I love how congruent it is with with my family schedule i love that i can leave at a decent hour i love i don't know, I have to travel everywhere i love that you know let's say we have one bad season i know my head's not on the chopping block like it can be in the collegiate settings uh it works out really 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 well and honestly I'm able to connect very well with high school age students. So the high schoolers got me into it and really the high schoolers are keeping me back into it. And it's when I felt that passion and that drive, like I've never felt before is when I realized this is the industry that I need to be in. That's awesome, Clay. That's awesome. You know, you can tell when people have good passion about strength and conditioning or any, really any profession, but you know, it's pretty evident. Um, and I think that's one thing about strength coaches that we are. We're, we're definitely passionate about what we do um, and about passionate about what we do and how we do it and everything like that. Uh, kind of wrapping up. So last segment we have here is conjugate coach spotlight. So this is where uh, you will uh, highlight a spe- specific coach that's doing really, really well in the industry right now. So do you have anyone you want to shout out? Yes. Love to. So uh, here in here in uh, my own state, uh, we have a growing NHSSCA uh, family here in our state, and some coaches that are just absolutely killing it right now. Rob Brokaw, who is of course you know national strength coach of the year a couple of years ago in Nebraska, he's at Castile High School here in Arizona. He's killing it. Steve Schween who's uh, well-known in the high school strength and conditioning world down in Seneca High, who we get, we've got to play his teams a couple times, and I'm looking forward to playing him again. Uh, he's killing it at Seneca High. Uh, ben Brandau, who's our state director, he is at Crimson High School, which is a new high school that was just built, so he's opening up that school. So he just has freshmen and middle schoolers, so he's doing a great job. 
developing developing them. Uh, another one, Bobby Davis at Santan Charter, smaller charter school. Bobby Davis, uh, good friend of mine. He's he's killing it there, doing a great job of that population. And then outside of the state, I have to send a shout out uh, to my fellow Angelo State Ram, Glenn Revel, who's in San Antonio working at Central Catholic High School. Me and him work together when we were at our D2 days at Angelo State. He's killing it at uh, Central Catholic. He's doing a fantastic job there. And really, there's there's so many coaches who are just doing a fantastic job uh, just around the nation. Oh, and uh, Dominic Woodard over at Casa Grande High School in Arizona is also killing it. So I know there's about 10, 15 more, but due to the sake of time, I know I got to probably cut it off there. That's awesome. Uh, always great to shout out some coaches that are really, really doing well in our industry and really, you know, making the difference there. So I want to thank you. Thank you for being on. Thank you for um, agreeing to be on here and, and just talk about, you know, programming and uh, managing multi-sport athletes and how to manage lows throughout the entire year and just taking a look at long-term athletic development. It, it's really uh, great. And it was some great insight that you brought to the table. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow us on our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also follow Clay Bewley on his social medias as well. So in the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today.